Hello and welcome to Cage Club, two fans, 73 movies, one cage. Today we're talking about Zondali, which we've been mispronouncing the entire time in Cage Club. We're talking about Zondali from 1991. Uh, I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And this movie is basically softcore porn for most of it. <laughs> yeah, it felt like a Skinamax flick. It's there's so much nudity, it's, like it's al- almost like a comical amount. Yeah, it's about nudity. The three main stars, which the movie's really about, it's Nicolas Cage as a guy named Johnny Collins, and they don't really say his name too often. Like he's, I feel like he says kind of like in uh, Rumblefish when they say Rusty James all the time. Everybody is always saying Zondali's name. It's funny you say that because I didn't even pick up that she was Zondali until about halfway through. Uh, and I couldn't tell if Judd Reinhold was playing a guy named Terry, Ferry, or something else. You know, they're in New Orleans and everyone's yeah. looking on the accent. I watched this movie with subtitles because I was like, there is no one ah. to sort of follow what's going on. And actually, the subtitles in this movie... So we talked about it last time that the the DVDs that we watched are like the Chinese imports, Mm -hmm. and it really feels like at times the person subtitling a movie, they're not listening to the movie. They're just trying to guess what the characters are talking about. (laughs) Like, at at times, they ask, like, where one character is. The subtitles are like, oh, where's Zondali? And like, oh, she's probably running. But the first character actually asked about someone else. And then the response had nothing to do with running. They just heard where Zondali... It's just weird. That's strange. So it was like the worst subtitling I've ever seen. It might have even been run through like Google... It's not even Google Translator problem. No, yeah, it's just it was like too long ago for Google. It's <laughs> Whoever was subtitling was just like writing their own movie as it went on. Um, Maybe things were lost in translation, you know, if it was being I subtitled guess. by the foreign distributor or something like that. Because this, is, this, was, this was not released in theaters in America, but it was released worldwide. So okay. that might have something to do with it. It's even known in Germany under an entirely different title. Even though it's filmed and takes place in New Orleans, I guess it just had never was distributed in the U.S.? I don't know the full story, but it may just never have found a distributor in America, you know, and it came out on home video, which, you know, at the time was not seen as bad as, you know, direct-to-DVD might seem today, so. Because I was watching the subtitles, I found out that Judge Reinhold plays a guy named Terry, like Thierry, like like a French, yes, Um, they always call him, like, Terror. Um, like, it's basically just Terry, but it's T-H-I-E-R-R-Y. I think I looked up on IMDb before that Erica Anderson was playing Zondali, so I knew that she was Zondali. So maybe that's just why I sort of knew who she was. But they do sort of say her name. They always call her Zon. They're, they're always sort of saying her name. But Johnny Collins, he's introduced, and they never really get back to him. Yeah, and when uh, he's introduced, it's when he's introduced to Judge Reinhold, brings him home, and he's like, Mama, look who it is. And he says his full name, and he's got like three middle names, <laughs> you know? John Paul Gregory Collins III. And then after that, forever referred to just simply as Johnny, but not often. I don't know where to sort of start with this. <laughs> um, the so, movie opens with Zondali dancing naked in her room. She's naked for the first, like, four minutes of the movie, yeah. and she's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So it's not, like, a bad thing, but it's just like, okay, like, we, we sort of get it. Zondali is played by Erica Anderson, who was in Twin Peaks, so it's a little bit of a cage connection there. A lynch connection. A lynch connection. Uh, she played, I think, at One-Eyed Jack's. She was just one of the other girls there, okay. from what I can sort of gather. I was thinking how fitting that is. 
because sort of in Twin Peaks, a lot of the characters look alike. Like, all the girls mm-hmm. sort of have the same kind of look. Yeah, the doppelganger And effect. she definitely sort of looks like Shelly. She looks like Madge and Amick. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. she could... She's totally a Lynch girl. So it sort of makes sense that she would, would have been cast in Twin Peaks. Also, she's just beautiful. But yeah, so it's Nicholas Cage as Johnny Collins, Judge Reinhold as Terry Martin, Erica Anderson as his disgruntled, loveless wife, Zondali. We got... Joe Pantoliano as a cross-dressing fashion salesperson? I think he works at Zondali's boutique, and he's a transvestite? Yes. Is he... So, I have questions about that (laughs) shop. Okay. So, the Zondali... I guess Zondali owns it, but also Judge Reinhold's mom works... Or grandmother works there, too? Yeah, so I was trying to, it's kind of, it's an unintentional mystery to me, this entire movie, you know? Like, I don't feel like they're trying to hide info, but it's doled out in very strange ways. The way I put it together is, like, Judge Reinhold's mother came to live with him and Zondali, and to sort of stay busy during the day, she came to work at Zondali's boutique and help her out there. Yeah, and Judge Reinhold, as Thierry, he was a poet, but now... Like, his dad died a year ago, so, like, because of that, he's trying to run his dad's company, which is, like, a cable company. And then that's sort of, like, making him impotent because he's a poet and an artist, not, like, a businessman. And I think that's why he and Zondali, like, aren't connecting. I think that's what's bringing upon Zondali's, you know, frustrations. Because they seem pretty good in the beginning of the movie, Mm -hmm. in the opening scene, and then he's like, all right, gotta go to work, and she's just, like, heartbroken. I really feel like most of their problems is that he's just, it's just like erectile dysfunction. Like they just can't have sex and she just wants to have sex with her husband. And because she can't, she's like this wanderlust. Like she, Mm. throughout the whole movie, she's just basically trying to find people to have sex with. The reason I don't think there's a lot of information assigned to who owns the shop, who runs the shop, whatever, is because I feel like this movie's plot is just, all right, people are just here for the sex. We're just trying to get from one (laughs) scene to the next with sort of as little information in the middle as possible. Yeah, like, the whole Nicolas Cage character is amazing, just how cryptic, like, I've found him to be, because like, we're told that uh, him and Terry sort of, they go way back, and that yeah. he's a painter. But I don't know, I wasn't aware that Terry was running the cable company at this point, so when he's like, Johnny works for me, I'm his boss, this is going to be great. I had no idea that Nick Cage is essentially a cable guy in this movie. Like, when Zondali runs into him on the street, he's, like, wearing his his work, sh- oh. his work shirt. Yeah, okay. I, I didn't put that together for the longest time. And then at the end, he finally say, like, you know, we work at, like, Southern Com or wherever they work. It's a cable communication. And I was like, oh, my God, he's a cable guy. I thought that was just hilarious. But there's this weird contrast between everybody's, the life they want to live. Like, everyone wants to be artistic and expressive, but they're all sort of, you know, imprisoned with the, you know, structure of the real world. It's, it's just so weird. It's sort of like an ultimate undercover boss situation because Nick Cage <laughs> just gets a job as a cable guy and then it turns out like his best friend or like, you know, his best friend from their artist days is his boss. Is like, is one of his probably many bosses, you know what I mean? Like in a company this big, I'm sure he's got lots of people who could be quote unquote his boss. Mm-hmm. But it's just weird that like the business that his friend has been forced to run also just happens to be the business that Cage now works for. Like it's just, yeah. it's a coincidence, but it also is like a believable like sort of movie contrivance 
Yeah, I get it because Judd Rhino just started running his dad's company, you know, like a year ago. So right. he wouldn't have been aware who really worked for him, especially if all he's doing is just trying to keep it afloat financially. So Cage almost re- like at the bachelor party scene in the beginning, <laughs> which is great, which is the first of, oh, man. of many sort of like just erotically themed sequences. Like he's like, yeah, I work for you now and stuff. And he's like, oh, my goodness. Like, look at that. You work for me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I love Judd Rhino this by the way i just think he comes off great in this movie you know he's got so he he co-produced the movie did you see that oh yeah so i guess i don't know if this is yeah (laughs) he's like all right i'm I'm married to a beautiful woman and i can't uh i I don't even know like how he wanted to i'm married to a beautiful woman can't please her then i ultimately please her and then tragedy strikes what i discovered last night uh just doing some very minor detective work is that zondali is in fact very based on a play. The play, you know, it, it's just about, I think the, the elements they kept is the unhappily married young woman who strays with the husband's best friend. That's pretty mm-hmm. much the core going on there. But uh, in the play, the woman is like the daughter of a sea captain and all kinds of other things are going on. I like that the Wikipedia describes it as the film steals liberally from the novel <laughs> of play. Because that, that playwright is not credited at all in the movie. It's just like, you know, there's like one screenwriter who has the credit, and this guy is not mentioned at all. So I guess somebody put two and two together, realized this was just like a total ripoff, and then, hey, we caught you. Like, you might not credit it, but we know what you took it from. It seems like an unnecessary take because you could, there's lots of stories about women cheating on their husband with their best friend you know like this one just happens to take place in new orleans i got a real two different types of moonstruck vibes okay because the first one the more obvious one is that cage is sort of stepping in between a relationship to steal the woman yeah but the other one is that throughout moonstruck they're talking about labo m and Labo M is all about the uh, painters and the artists and all these people who don't want to pay their rent. So it's sort of like this is Labo M if they had to get a job that they didn't want hmm. so they could support themselves. Interesting. I like that connection. And I think I only got there because I kept thinking about Moonstruck because it's still the same kind of love triangle, except instead of dealing with his mother dying in Italy, Judge Reinhold is just stuck at work, working long hours suffering erectile dysfunction. (laughs) Yeah. I think we should go back to the bachelor party because (laughs) Nicolas Cage's entrance is amazing. Yeah. He's like, he walks in a frame and he's just like silhouetted by a backlight. And he has this long, I don't know, is this like his his real hair at this time or is this a wig? Uh, Don't, No, it doesn't look entirely real to me throughout the whole film, so you know what I mean? Like, if it is his real hair, it looks like maybe at some point he needed to cut it and they used a wig. I don't know. I wasn't, I gotta be honest, like, he kind of looked a lot like Gambit from the X-Men in this movie to me. (laughs) Like, I couldn't shake it. He had the killer mullet, the goatee, like, the crazy southern clothes. Yeah, he looks great. He walks in a frame, backlit, and just sort of like squats a little bit and then just like whips his hair and it's such a like i'm like oh that has to be cage like that, there's no way that this could be any character other than nicholas cage and it was and he just walks in and he's the life of the party one of the first things he does is there's a bunch of strippers there and they're all like spraying whipped cream on themselves and having the guys at the party lick it off he like just takes the whipped cream and then basically just goes down on a stripper like with the whipped cream right away walking into the party. Like this is just like 
He's in his element now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, his most comfortable self in this sequence. <laughs> oh, and Judge Reinhold says, that boy's always had a sweet tooth, <laughs> which works on so many levels. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but at one point, John and Terry are in Terry's office, and John, Johnny offers Terry a peach. So yes. <laughs> I was like, oop. <laughs> There's peaches, because we talked about peaches in Wild at Heart. We talked about peaches. We're going to talk about peaches in Face Off. It definitely cage connections all around. Yeah, so this bachelor party is like the, it's. I'm so confused because I actually thought this movie was going to be about like we were going to follow the Judd Reinhold character mostly. So when we start focusing on Zondalia, I get like sidetracked. But I was like, why are they wearing a fez? What? Whose bachelor party is this? Like, there's so many questions that never get answered, but they're just sort of like. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm looking in the wrong place. But as soon as Cage comes into this movie, like it's just like none of that matters, you know. Because you you definitely start. I mean, the movie opens with them in their apartment with Judge Reinhold and Erica Anderson in their apartment, and like they're sort of presented as the star of the movie. And I was wondering again, bringing it back to Moonstruck, that Cage doesn't show up for a while. We know that he's top billed. We know that he's like a starring role in this. And I was trying to wonder how long it takes before him to show up, and he shows up pretty quick. But then it still follows the couple around, and then it just sort of shifts its perspective to Cage. Mm. And it's just his movie now as he falls in love with... I guess it sort of follows whoever Zondali is emotionally attached to. Uh, that's a good call. That's a good call, because at times, like, you just follow Zondali going out at night and doing her own thing. Yeah, so it's whoever wanders through her story. Because yeah, she goes to that club that one time with Joe Pantoliano, she just, like, starts making out with a guy. He's like, you you might want to make sure that your, your like, meds are caught up or something. Like, is he, like, insinuating that, like, that guy... Because that's a crazy sex club. Like, there's yeah. just, like, men and women... It's just sort of like a public orgy, kind of? Yeah, it seemed very illegal to me. <laughs> just, I mean, we are on Bourbon Street, so maybe that's just the loose laws of New Orleans. I don't know, but, like, she just grabs a guy and makes out with him, and Joey Pants is sort of concerned like i i, I kind of got a vibe like oh a lot of people here have hiv like you might want to be careful who you just go around and sleep with uh yeah 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 because i'm not sure like they never really explicitly say that but i feel like it's just zondali being reckless and just looking for attention and excitement and she's willing to sort of risk herself to to get that from anywhere well like at that point she and johnny are introduced and right away she it looks like she just hates Johnny's guts, like, for no reason, right? But you would never think this is the guy that... Maybe she knows deep down, like, I hate this guy because I know I'm going to cheat on my husband with him. Like, look how sexually charged and ready to go this guy is. So maybe she goes out with Joey Pants and is, like, testing herself, almost, and realizes, like, yeah, she, like, really wants to... She'll kiss anybody, so she'll definitely, like, next time she runs into Johnny, like, she's probably going to let him go for it. I feel like she's just... The only reason she's upset with him is just because he kind of startles her and she drops like that pepper grinder for the rest of the movie she or like for the next like half an hour she's just not on it like she just like sits there and like broods and stares at him yeah but and then every time they run into each other like he he's like done painting terry remember you like painted terry's yep. portrait and then he goes to hang it up and that's like the first time they kiss and johnny like forces himself on her and then she kind of like relents and then the next time she's doing one of her jogs and he kind of like jumps out at her and and ends up like forcing himself upon her she tries to like fight him off but then she like relents and then ultimately she accepts it i feel like this is kind of like 50 shades of grayish <laughs> just sort of like uh, like, like one of like, those like erotic like a, like a, like a woman's fan yeah mm -hmm. just like wouldn't it be great board housewives if like your husband that you weren't connected to 
had this rebel of a friend who would just come in and just kiss you and you wouldn't be into it, but then all of a sudden you would be into it. Yeah, I could see it being, you know, one of those like romance novel covers, right? Where it's like the man sweeps me off my, you know, someone please come sweep me off my feet out of this boring, monotonous like housewife life or something. Yeah. Because she didn't sign up for this. Like she married the poet, you know, and it was a matter of circumstance that the, the dad died and now he has to go work and their life you know like it wasn't supposed to be this way so she kind of i could see her feeling a raw deal you know like she got like the bad end of something so she wants to just go you know fix that so they're at terry and zonley's apartment and nick cage is there for the first time they're sort of regaling each other they, they're not really doing it sort of cage is bringing it up and making judge reinhold really uncomfortable talking about they're sort of like their heyday mm -hmm. when they were both these like successful artists or at least you know popular on the they, they were they were they were living the good life and they're talking about how easy it was for them to get women like he would just you know judge reinhold could just like say a couple lines of a poem and a woman would be ready to throw himself at or throw herself at him in the case you just like offer to paint someone and they would just take all their clothes off and then they just go at it well that's quite the situation to have women come over and take their clothes off for you yes it is darling when that big red snatch is coming right up against your face like a freight train it's pretty hard to paint i'll tell you what <laughs> zondali is not happy about this <laughs> yeah. story i don't know i wonder if she was ever told i get the sense that judge reinhold never told her the real extent of like his sort of promiscuous days yeah he feels a little more secretive and not quite as like willing to spill the details as johnny is you know johnny's like a braggart right like, he's he's like oh like behold my sexual conquests but like i feel almost like terry is like he doesn't have to brag you know like he's got this amazing wife and like you know what was the past is the past kind of deal so it kind of shows how even though these guys are really good friends and all they're like they're, they're pretty different types of people cage wants to paint judge reinhold mm -hmm. this sort of sets up a moment a little bit later a little spark of intimacy between cage and zondali when he's finally done with the painting but he just like starts to paint and like the portrait is crazy like it's i don't even know what type. like i don't know much about art i don't know what type it is but like it's it's really cool looking yeah, I wondered if Nick Cage actually painted that, like, halfway through. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was just wondering. I was like, is this just one of his hidden talents, you know, something like that? Did he ask if he could give it a try? And the director and everyone was like, wow, like, this guy could actually do this? Or, like, whoever the artist was, like, I, yeah, I agree. It was really interesting. It's only, like, three or four colors, you know, like, yellow, blue, and whitish, and gold. Yeah. I don't know. And, yeah, it's just this crazy big head of Judd Reinhold. <laughs> I wonder if that painting still exists and, like, or, you know... I wonder. Would, it has to exist. I wonder amazing, who has it, though. Like Cage Club exclusive poster that would make <laughs> a Zondo poster of that. I bet Judge Reinhold has it because it's of him. Mm -hmm. I bet this is like you know this movie wasn't as successful as I would like it to be, but at least they have this really cool poster. He did produce it, so perhaps yeah, it was something he could keep. So the next scene that I want to make sure we talk about: Zondali goes to the club. She makes out with that guy. She comes back. She's real drunk, real tipsy, gets naked, of course, into bed with Judge Reinhold, and he's a little upset that she came in and woke him up, but he's also just sort of charmed and amused by her. Mm -hmm. Like, he still loves her. As busy as he is, and as impotent as he is, I think it's really clear that he loves her throughout this movie. Yeah, I think they love each other. Love isn't the issue, you know, it's sex, right? Like, it's the, it's, they're intimate, they still, like, talk to each other a whole lot and share, you know, their thoughts, and, like, Judd Reinhold tries to explain why he's impotent, and I think it's mostly a physical issue going on with them right now, and I think well, also, I think it's just, I think it's just stress. Yeah, and at this point, I was thinking Judd Reinhold, he, he knows Zondali's probably 
straying with someone. You know, she's probably out there with somebody. I don't think he suspects that it's Johnny until the dinner scene. They actually do it in the house while everyone's eating dinner. He has that speech way, way later that he's like, you know, I should be mad at Zondali for straying from me, but I'm not. Or I should be mad at myself for letting someone else, like, please her, but I'm not. And I mean, man, it could be it could be you, Johnny, for all I know. And it's it would sound sort of like foreboding if you ever really got the sense that he knew what was happening. But I really generally don't think he knows that it's Cage, or if, it, if he, or I don't I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, tough. He plays it. He plays it close to the vest. I'll tell you that. You know, because it, at, at the end he reveals. You know, obviously at the end he finds out, but uh, not to jump too far ahead. At the time, yeah, I'm sort of questioning the way he's talking to Cage. Like, does he know? Doesn't he know? He knows someone, but is it him? So he does a good job. Like I said, I like Judd in this in this movie. And so she gets back from the club, and they try to have sex, and he can't. He can't perform again, and he's really just sort of frustrated, and goes off to brood and like stare out the window. Mm-hmm. And then she, like, looks over at him and just starts masturbating. Yeah. Like, she's like, I can't believe my life has come to this, almost. And then she just, like, throws a book at something. And he says, what was that? And she says, oh, it was a lizard. And that's the end of the scene. He lets the, well, he picks up the lizard, like, all gently and tenderly and lets it out the the window. And (laughs) she rolls over and goes to bed. But, like, why was that, how, why was that the end of the scene? (laughs) No, no. no. There's a couple, there's a couple of scenes that just sort of end abruptly. Maybe that's just the end of the night. I mean, Zondali does go to bed. So maybe it's just, you know, we cut because that character fell asleep. I guess. I, I meant to bring this up earlier. When we were talking about, when you said it was based on a stage production, a lot of this is sort of filmed and shot like it's a stage production. There's sort of, like, cheap lighting, almost. Like, there's not really great production values here. At times it kind of feels like a stage production, and at times it kind of feels like a soap opera. Just in terms of, like, the vibe that the film and the editing and the music and the ambiance sort of give off. Did you get that sense? Yeah, it, it definitely felt like it was shot in 30 frames instead of 24 frames or, you know, something that you would see like on British television or yeah, like yeah. a soap opera or nowadays even when The Hobbit came out in 60 frames, you know, it just has that video feel to it. So right. I wondered if this DVD is in fact, you know, a video transfer of a VHS or something. It might be. Yeah, because I, I, I don't... I can't see the original print being this way. I mean, maybe it was. It also might just be, like, directorial touches because there are shots where, like, the characters don't move very much and there's, like, a lot of dialogue without the camera moving. And that's sort of what gave me the stage vibe. But I guess when you have a director who's best known for Free Willy 3 and Zondali, anything sort of goes. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it could just be what they were going for as well, right? I mean, maybe they yeah. just were trying to be interpretive, <laughs> you know? And you're right, I got that stage play, like we were filming a play vibe from this as well, like maybe it could air on PBS if it wasn't so naked all the time. No, like if this, <laughs> if this aired on PBS, it would have to be like 25 minutes long. Well, I mean, like I, I said earlier, it felt like a like a Cinemax late night movie, you know, and like yeah. Yeah, a lot of those Cinemax type films look and feel like this movie does as far as like the video quality. The next scene is one of, I think, your favorite scenes. The next morning after they don't have sex, Zondali goes out for one of her many runs in this movie. She's always running. If she's not naked, she's in that little gray sweatsuit. Yeah. There's a couple notable moments on this. First, she's running by the water, and she sees the train coming. Yes. And like she just wants a, a rush in her life. Like She just wants to feel excitement. She wants to feel alive. And since her husband's not giving it to her, the way that she's going to get it is by almost killing herself. 
Like, she runs, like, super, super close in front of the train just because she wants to feel something. Yeah, she she probably just saw Racing the Moon because she <laughs> races the train, just like in yeah. that. I mean, she doesn't jump onto the train. She just, like, she, she dodges in front of it. But still, I kind of took that moment as she at that point was like a little getting to be suicidal she's just in so such despair there's just no escape and it's just even if the character isn't realizing it yet like i think to me i just said like okay there's an option later on in the movie like maybe she's gonna kill herself or something definitely while you're watching this movie you know that at least one of these people is gonna die it's just a matter of trying to figure out who is the one who's gonna die because mm-hmm. it's gonna turn tragic at some point but then the next encounter that she has is Steve Buscemi who is a prisoner garbage man? Yeah, he's on like a work release program, I suppose, like when you see guys in jumpsuits picking up trash on the side of the road, but he's an actual garbage man working off his sentence, maybe? <laughs> like, he sort of just seems like have he has like a rapport with Zondali that he, he picks up the trash or the recycles or whatever he's picking up outside of her business, and they just like, he just sort of, just like this wisecracking Paroli gives her a little bit of excitement. And then on this run, she encounters him again after he just stole a radio, and these cops on motorcycles are just chasing him. Like a little sort of delightful little moment. I guess he's the comic relief in this movie, because other like without him and without maybe like Marissa Tomei, like this would be a pretty heavy, dark movie. Yeah, he's he's like the Olaf of the film, right? He's just like this guy he's in a little white jumpsuit that runs through the frame every so often. Uh, and it's great, too, in the back. Like, at that scene, she runs into Johnny. And in the background, Steve Buscemi's, like, running up the side of a wall yeah. while the cops have his arms on. It's like, he's just still... And you can hear him on the audio track in the background, like, still yelling while Zondali and Johnny are trying to have a conversation. I just thought he was great. So when she runs into Johnny there, that's when he gives her the black rose of fate tattoo. The black rose of fate. After he, he like shows up his tattoo, that that's when I started to put together the, the thing that like he's a cable guy. Because <laughs> I, I saw like he's got the work shirt on and things like that. So I knew he, he was along those lines. So I started piecing that part together. But not only is he a cable guy, he's also a painter. And he and this the next scene is uh, when he reveals the finished painting to everybody at, at uh, Terry's house. Yep. And this is when him and Zondali, he first he makes his first move on her. She's like not in like we were talking about this before, like she's not into it and then sort of like mid kiss like gives in like I guess I need it from somewhere, so like this this is as good a chance as any. Yeah, I almost, I mean is she like she's definitely not trying to like if anything, like she is is resistant because it's her husband's friend. You know, if only it wasn't her husband's friend, I feel like she'd be full on gung ho, you know, all the way about it. That to me almost is the obstacle for her, you know, like emotionally, you know, she doesn't want that grief or whatever that's going to bring and she doesn't want to hurt her husband, but she needs satisfaction. The other big thing, the other reason that she's so apprehensive is because her husband is in the next room. Like he just he carried the painting out of the room, like he's <laughs> oh, right yeah. there. He could walk in at any point. That too. That seems to be Johnny's thing. It's like he needs to do it in public or like with a chance of getting caught, right? <laughs> he uh, he hits on her when when Terry's in the other room. Later on, he he's like, "Let's do it right here with everybody in the other room." And then you know he accosts her on the street when he's like, "Anyone can see us doing it." So maybe that's how he gets off. I meant to say this earlier is that when they're on the street earlier, you sort of get it. I think this is like the cage advice. Like we haven't had cage advice in a while, but when they're seeing Steve Buscemi getting arrested. 
she's like, I can't believe that he would do that. It's pretty funny. Oh, you think so? He got caught. Don't want to get caught. Shouldn't be a thief. And I was like, oh man, like this is it. Like that's the moment where he's like, all right, I'm gonna steal Zondali. I don't care if Judge Reinhold finds out because you know the crime is worth it almost. That fits not only the character but one of the central themes of the movie, right? (laughs) Like they are gonna get caught even though they wanted to cheat. And so the next time they're on the street is what you were just talking about. It's like raining and she's running again. And he catches up to her, or he, like, doesn't he, this is, like, when he, like, whisks her off the street, yeah. right? Like, she's running by, and he just, like, grabs her, and, like, she's not, like, freaked out. I mean, she, I guess she's she's not freaked out enough, I don't think, yeah. for, like, what just happened to her. We're inevitable. I want to shake you naked and eat you alive, Zondale. Don't say my name. Nobody will be hurt from it, because it is what it is. It is what it is. Just as simple as that. You want it, and I want to give it. Perfect relationship. This is the scene that's on the back, like, on the back of his DVD cover, there is a shot where just Cage's hand is on her crotch. And, like, it's from this scene. Like, he just basically is fingering her on the street in front of whoever walks by. And it's on the DVD case. <laughs> I didn't know until after watching it, because I try not to look at the, like, details on the back. And I'm like, holy shit, like, <laughs> he's fingering her on the back cover. Also, the other, the other really good thing about the DVD case, and I want to read this. So everything on the DVD case is in Chinese and English. And on the front and the back, it's, like, the MPAA rating, but the equivalent for the Chinese. It says... This article contains material which may offend and may not be distributed, circulated, sold, hired, given, lent, shown, played, or projected to a person under the age of 18 years. Like, this DVD is so offensive that nobody under 18 should even, like, know that this DVD exists. The movie originally was rated NC-17 in the States. We're watching the foreign cut, which is longer than the original U.S. release, because I guess they, they released an unrated cut on VHS in America, in 1991. Right. Uh, and that DVD seems to be out of print or very expensive. So this is the one you know most people are going to see, 18 or above. There's a, apparently an original unrated and uncut version, which is what we're watching, I'm assuming, and the R-rated version. And this version has a few more scenes. The one that we're watching has a few more scenes that apparently help explain the characters a bit better. So I really wonder what they cut out, because we don't really know a whole lot about these. I mean, it actually does like a pretty okay job, but I wonder what they cut out to like make it even more sort of obtuse and confusing. Well, we never really get any of Zondali's history. We get all this history about Judd Reinhold and how his family like it's like had its roots. His great grandfather was from New Orleans and like his dad started a radio station and it turned into a cable company and yeah. we know that Johnny grew up with him and the and that they've been lifelong friends, but then like Zondali is just like this complete mystery the whole movie, you know. She's like this is she's like completely aloof. And we never really like at any point never learn anything about Zondali. She's just sort of this beautiful woman that's the object of everyone's affection like that's just sort of her backstory <laughs> yeah she was just yeah she created um out of nothing you know <laughs> yeah just like at that age she just came into existence 
she's almost like an incarnation, like a literal incarnation of a muse. You know what I mean? That she's with the, all these artists ah. that they're they're encouraging them to do great things. I guess that's some that's and, actually some interesting readings into this. Like I like that. You know, because you're right. There are these two artists sort of fighting over this one muse, right? And, and both neither of them are really. It's not working out for either of them. You know, they no. don't fight over a muse. Get your own. Yeah, the great art that they make is just basically having sex with her. Like that's that's the extent of their art. But after they count each other on the street they go back and they are they're banging in the alleyway they're banging in cages like artist loft it's time to um, compromise yes it's 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 compromise city there is no erectile dysfunction here cage is ready to go and it's finally exactly what zombie has been looking for the entire movie it is aggressive like he is, it looks painful like that doesn't like if i'm if that's how johnny always has sex like i feel <laughs> sorry for the girls he's with because there's nothing tender or like sensual no, about it it's, it's not like, a sailor and lula situation right no not at all like it is purely like animal aggression and rage and stuff and so after they're done compromising one another cage says it's pretty hard to hide the clairvoyance of the eyes and then he takes like a little dab of blue paint and like traces a line from her breasts down to her like down past her stomach and i just wrote down that it was a very sensual streak of blue paint it gave me shades of like uh, nine and a half weeks or like whatever the movie they play with food and stuff like this was this would come to be like a staple of like eroticism it's like painting with with stuff on the body and so i was like oh yeah they, they have to go here you know they have to it's a skin flick and he's a painter and there's paint on yeah. set so you know it has to be there it has to happen yeah but not only is he a painter he's also a magician <laughs> well he does like a card trick i would wait but is he a drug dealer that's what i he's, really he's, want he's tied up with something nefarious he's doing some shady business we never truly get the answers to. Does not matter until the very, very end. Like, when he's compromising Zondali, when they're doing the paint stuff, he gets an answering machine message, total 1991, and the guy's, like, really cryptic. He's like, hey, like, if you got the stuff, like, you know, I, I know the guy who wants it. You know, I, it's just, like, generic drug conversation. You got the money, we got the stuff, we'll meet here, we'll take care of it. And then they go to the bar where he does the magic trick. I guess he, he lives in, like, a gigantic loft loft yeah. and he's not he's not affording that on his cable guy salary or his paintings because he can't sell anything even though the one at the end that he wants is how the one artist loves he's just like oh man that's crap like that's old you don't want that he's really just a tortured artist but he's not making money on all that stuff so i guess he he's doing something illegal which does not matter at all until like the last scene in the movie there was one scene where he kind of had he has like the coke out on the table when he mixes it with the oil when he's like rubbing her. <laughs> i was like well i don't have to see what's going on there <laughs> but like I, it didn't cross my mind I was just like, oh, okay, he, like, they're just doing coke and they're having sex or whatever like that. But, like, later, after the fact, that uh, toward the end of the movie, it's like, oh, maybe he's a coke dealer. I just, I don't know. I wish that was just, I wish they spent just, like, maybe, you know, one more minute <laughs> making that a little more clear. But if you spend one more minute making that clear, that's one minute less of Zondali naked. Sure. So, I mean, like, you can't, <laughs> you can't cut that out. Nope. He goes to the bar and he just does, like, this magic trick. Like, he looks like he actually is, like, a magician, kind of. That just, like, adds to his mystique. But then he goes to... Well, it goes back to my Gambit theory, if he's playing with cards and stuff like that. So I like that. (laughs) There we go. And then after he does the magic trick, Judge Reinhold shows up at the bar. He's like, hey, I need you to come hang out. We're meeting my grandmother's secret boyfriend tonight. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, like, I can't. Because this is after he's had sex with Zondali, obviously. He's like, I can't. He doesn't want to like mess with that. Like, it's a little bit too close. He's like, I got plans. Yeah, he's already and pretty Judge... paranoid to be talking to Judd Reinhold. Where he's just like, yes. I just banged your wife. He's already like, ooh, I don't really want to talk to you. And he's like, I got plans. And Judd Reinhold's like, 
bring her. They show up, and it's Marissa Tomei. And like, it's like the only scene that she's really in. I think. I mean, her voice comes back a little bit later. This is the movie that she does right before she does My Cousin Vinny, which she won an Oscar for. She's just like this charming. Cage is living the good life. That he's you know Zondali is this muse, this beautiful woman. Outside of that. You know, Marissa Tomei is gorgeous, and, like, she's adorable and, like, making Marx Brothers references. She's she's just wonderful. Yeah, her character is just super cute and adorable and the complete opposite of the stink-faced uh, Zondali at this dinner party who's just not amused that he brought anybody with. But, yeah, his his side piece is just, like just as good as his main course, you know what I'm saying? Like, like most of Cage's roles, it's just like a major player with the Lakers. <laughs> so he's at dinner. Judge Reinhold's grandmother and her boyfriend are on one side of the table. Cage and Marissa Tomei are on the other side. And then at the, at the heads of the table are Judge Reinhold and Zondali. Cage is sitting between Marissa Tomei and Zondali. And just in the middle of dinner, just starts getting a little handsy and, like, runs his hand up Zondali's dress and, or, like, under her dress. And she just takes a fork and stabs him in the hand. Yeah, that was a great denial. I, such a good, like, defensive move. They go to, like, get the next course or go to get more wine or something. Cage goes to help her. And they're just in the kitchen alone. And the other four people are out there. And I just love them cutting back to Judge Reinhold. He's just, like, so suspicious but never gets up. Like, he's never, like, goes to examine what's going on. She says, I'm not some dumb coon-ass you can mess with. And he says, well, why don't you take my dumb coon-ass prick inside you? (laughs) And then she goes down on him, and then they go into the next room. Again, while the whole dinner party's happening, they turn on the washing machine and have sex on top of the washing machine. Yeah. And Judge Reinhold never gets up. He's just, like, listening and trying to figure out what's happening. And I feel like, I guess, I mean, I I didn't think about this while the movie was happening, but looking back at it... Like, he has to know what's going on, right? Well, that, that for me, was the moment where he realized... We, he, he, I, that's why I was like, he knew she was fooling around, and now he knows she was fooling around with Johnny. Because it's just like his southern nature to be a gracious host that keeps him from getting up the whole thing. You know, he's having a dinner party. He can't leave and excuse himself, you know? Like, that's how, I, that's how it came across to me. That and perhaps his his sexual impotence is spreading to his manlyhood and he just doesn't have it in him to go confront the two at the moment you know it's just he's so drained at the moment but yeah like it's a crazy scene because wow like <laughs> so, many, so many things are going on here like you get that johnny you know needs that sense of like risk and getting caught you have zondalise yeah. like completely going over to the dark side it's like one of the major turning points of the film for me. Marissa Tomei's in the other room just saying, like, Johnny, come back. Like, she's just still adorable. Just, like, they're telling terrible jokes. Like, save me. And he's just like, I'll be right there. And, like, he's not going to be right there. Like, he's, he's going to take his time to get back in there. This is sort of, like, the turning point in this movie. Like, this is sort of the point of no return. And, and the movie does that that editing move it does a lot where it cheats and it just cuts out of the scene the sequence so we never like see people leaving the dinner party or anything like that so you know we don't get any anybody like awkwardly coming in after boning in the laundry room or anything like we're just cutting to the next day because none of the people in this movie are really like stupid like they would all know what's happening we never get to see their their reactions to them coming back sort of you know probably with like ruffled hair and like clothes askew and then just have to finish dessert and just get on with the night. Earlier in the movie, when uh, Terry and Zondali are having sex, he are trying to anyway, he's like, say my name, say my name. And like, even that doesn't get him off. And then Cage does the same thing. Like, it's, it's weird. He's just like, say my name. And then she's like, Terry. And he's like, wait, what did you just say? 
and he freaks out and she's like oh i'm sorry and then they go again and then and then she sort of corrects herself like she seems fully committed to this affair but in her heart she still loves terry yeah they bang in public they have that sex talk where he's like why did you fall for him she's like oh it's the poetry and then he's like isn't this poetry and he starts fingering her again and i was like what the hell these are some smooth moves gage uh and they keep having sex they have their affair so it seems like a little bit of time's passed before she she says terry's name during say my name scene so i think at that point she's starting to like think okay like i'm done sort of with this like you know i've gotten everything that i want from this but we'll find out that johnny hasn't gotten everything he wants from it so i think at this point she starts trying to sort of break things off for the rest of the film and and johnny just doesn't like that and also in that same scene there's another great line cage says when i'm inside you i feel us at the edge of the universe traveling exploring and then he has that little pile of cocaine that we were talking about and mixes it with some kind of oil oh he's he's giving her a massage with the like the massage oil right yeah and he is putting it on her body, like rubbing her back or rubbing her stomach, and then mixes it with cocaine and then just like, you know, gets it right up in there. Like She's like, I'm not going to do drugs. He's like, hey, hey, you're not going to do drugs. And then just forcibly gives her drugs. Forcibly. And she's totally okay with it. Just as Zombie's life is improving, it seems like Judge is getting more, he's getting more involved at work. Like, the next scene we, we cut to uh, Judge at work, right? Yeah. And he's like packing up his stuff. And Cage is like, hey, did you get fired? And he's like, no, I got promoted. He's like, oh, you're a real executive dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is this turn. Judd Reinhold goes into what I call the vampire kiss phase of the movie for him because he has like the meeting with the guy he thinks he's supposed to sell. He's going to sell his dad's company, but the guy's like, no, I'm going to buy it, but I'm also going to keep you on and promote you. And so now Judd Reinhold is like full on executive guy, which he is like the last thing he really wants. I think he was kind of looking forward to being fired and becoming like a, a poet again. And so, yeah, like Cage goes to visit him. So that, yeah, and he's going to be promoted. And for the rest of the movie, Judd Reinhold is going to kind of go crazy you know and lose his mind so this gave me sort of uh, echoes of vampire's kiss he's gonna go like vampire's kiss but like as a real sort of southern gentleman yeah so there will yeah. always be like, a, like an air of like distinction and class to it yeah it's a uh, interview with a vampire's kiss <laughs> but also that same scene cage is eating a peach and i wonder if cage as the actor just loves peaches maybe it's part of his motivation right like it's just one of his happy corners of his mind you know the peach just symbolizes something to him it symbolizes the vagina because (laughs) in wild at heart he's telling that story to lula about his ex-girlfriend and she's like take a bite of peach and then in face off he's like i could eat a peach for hours you think maybe he's offering the peach back to judge reinhold as like this is your wife and i've been eating out your wife do you want yes you haven't been 100 percent nice 100%. While this is happening, while they're at this meeting, while they're having a conversation, they're sharing the peach or not sharing the peach, really, Zondali's at Cage's apartment. She's waiting for him because they were supposed to, like, meet up on his lunch break. And that's one thing that the judge is like, hey, you've been taking some really long lunch breaks? Like, I've been keeping you from getting fired, but, like, maybe I shouldn't do that? And Cage is like, oh, man, like, I've just been... And the judge's like, I know you got somebody on the side. And so Zondali's at his apartment, Marissa Tomei calls, and she's like, hey, you know, I I miss you. Like, when are we going to get together or whatever? And Zondali freaks out. She pops the answering machine tape out. She unspools it. And then she just, like, trashes everything in Cage's beautiful apartment. Yeah, she throws the symbolically red paint on the bed. And then she, like, throws the the table over. And uh, and his, his apartment already looked pretty trashed to begin with. So, you know, it doesn't look like she did too much damage or anything. And Cage isn't exactly too upset with that. 
you know, I think it's just more. It's more symbolic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, but she does. She is allowed to like, get out some of her aggression. Cage isn't really. I, 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 we don't see him getting back to Spartan, but I can't imagine he's too happy uh, when he comes back and finds her stuff all, or his stuff all trashed. Oh uh, yeah, they meet up again uh, in the church. Yeah, they, they they meet up in the church, which is just a place that she goes. And she's like, "How'd you find me?" And he's like, "I know where you are. like. I found you. Like, I can always find you. Can't get rid of me that easily." Kind of talk, right? He's like, just now he's like super stalker cage. You know, she she's like, "I want to I want to break it off." And then he starts like, cursing in church. That was bold. You know, this is the opposite of his sort of tempered performance in Firebirds. And this one, he's allowed to just go all out at moments. And <laughs> and this is one of those moments where they're in the church. And this sequence is like kind of like shocking, I guess it could be. There is a gunfight in one of the mariachi movies inside a church. So I guess it's not that disrespectful to just be cursing in, in one in this film. But he's like, yeah, he like starts screaming obscenities at her in the church. And then the, drags her into the confessional for some confessional sex. Let me tell you something about people. People die and people die. Everybody dies. So leave him. Don't talk like that. Why don't you think of where you are? Oh. Gawking yours better in here, huh? Yeah? Huh? Well, fuck! But isn't, like, to, to go back to face-off for a second, or to flash forward again to face-off, isn't he dressed as, like, a priest? Yes. Isn't, he, like, have, isn't he having sex in that movie as a priest, um, too? He plants, that in the, in the beginning, he plants the bomb in, oh, right, in yeah. the, wherever he plants the bomb, and then he's in the priest's uniform, and he, and he goes, uh, like, walks up to the choir and grabs the girl by the behind. Oh, and, yes. and he also does the same head-shaking move that his uh, first appearance, and, you know, when he walks in in this, you were saying, and he sort of shakes his head in a circle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he does that in Face Off as well. Oh, man, I, can't, I cannot wait for Face Off. I know, that's going to be... Back to this movie, back to the church, he says, like, people die, everybody dies, so leave him. My favorite line in that scene is that after they're done, he's just like, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Like, <laughs> such great religious iconography. What, what has sort of confused me is that it seems like Zondali's been in New Orleans for a while. I mean, she's got the shop there, that she lives there. That's where they're they're married, but she seems a little like freaked out, like just walking down the street, where she's walking and like there's just like people walking by her on both sides, and she's just like overwhelmed. And I wonder yeah. if that's just a physical manifestation of like what she's feeling on the inside about this affair. Reminded me of uh, the end of Rumblefish when they're sort of walking through the streets and they're following Motorcycle Boy, and she kind of has like that look he had, where she's just like on her own somewhere, like lost inside her head, and you know she's walking through this street that's very lively and full of like almost celebration she's coming across as like this zombie woman you know just like drained of life and I think it's really this scene that is again like the the turning point in the opposite direction like she's almost sort of had enough like Cage at this point is getting a little bit too aggressive she's sort of done with the affair she's had her fun she wants to go back she goes back to her apartment and Judge Reinhold's grandmother is there and they sort of have like a woman to woman talk The, the grandmother says most marriages suffer but the good ones conquer and then this is when Judge Reinhold comes to Cage again in a bar and is basically, without saying as much, I know what you've been doing, and I should be mad at you, but I'm not, but also, like, kind of, like, knock it off. He's, like, totally loaded. And I believe off the deep end, well, just about off the deep end, because when he gets home, like, him and Zondali pretty much make up, right? They're like, let's let's give it another try, let's go away, let's, like, do something, let's, let's go down to the bayou, like, alone. 
But then he just goes into this little sort of bait shop. I don't know if it's like a bait shop or like a bar or what. But then who's in there? But Nicolas Cage himself. Sort of everything's like going great and their relationships healing and you know he's he's having sex again and it's awesome and they just go to get like a couple beers or he runs in just to get some refreshments and it's like a bar bait shop everything you kind of need it's like the only thing for like miles out there in the middle of the bayou really it's like all it is it's like the one-stop shop and yeah johnny's there like like i knew like something was gonna happen like i thought maybe judd reinald was getting into like a bar fight or something but i didn't think like johnny was gonna show up i was just like oh man this guy is relentless oh and then they then what happens is probably one of my all-time favorite scenes in cage you talk about you talking about dancing on the dock i am definitely talking about the dancing on the docks so basically like when he runs into johnny inside the bait bar like he knows it's he knows it's johnny like he knows johnny's been boning his girl and he knows johnny's there to like take her back you know without saying anything he, he doesn't have to they're very passive aggressive and he's like why don't you join us on our little excursion <laughs> I don't know why I keep slipping into voices, but deal with it. He's like, why don't you join us? Zondali's outside. And he's like, great. So he goes outside, and they all see, he's like, look who's joining us. And Zondali gives him this look like, oh, you mother effer. And uh, Johnny's like, that's right. It's going down. And then Judd Reynolds just like, hold on, hold on. <laughs> he's like, remember when we were little boys or something? He's like, remember when we were young? And just out of nowhere, they start dancing. They do like an extremely slow and synchronized routine on the yeah. docks. And I'm loving it. I'm dying. I just don't know what's going on. No, it doesn't make any sense. I think it, it just shows, like, how sort of how much Judge Reinhold has lost it. Like, he sort of has, like, no grip on reality anymore. Maybe? I don't know. The next thing he does is he just pulls out a gun and just points at a cage. It's like he's sort of saying, like, look at us. Look how good friends we are. Look how in sync we were. Like, we, you know, we did this when we were kids. We still remember it. Like, we used to be inseparable, you know? And now look at us. The next thing he does is, like, pull a gun. And he's like, you know, I know everything. <laughs> <laughs> Zonaly says, like, it's over? Like, I think she's sort of done with both of them. Like, he's, like, pointing the gun. He points the gun at Cage. He points the gun at Zondali. He points the gun at his own temple. And then he just points out over the bayou and shoots. And I think this is when she realizes that she's been dealing with two completely crazy men and just sort of wants to move on from both of them. I think you're right. I think... I think she's come to the realization that neither of these guys is what she needs is, or what she should... They're both unhealthy for her. Judd Reinhold demands that they go fishing. Yeah, he's like, we're, we're going fishing because he's the one with the gun. They're like, all right, I guess we're going <laughs> fishing. And Cage is driving the boat, which seems like a weird choice for him to let Cage drive the boat. Well, he was driving um, first, correct? He was driving first, and then he, they want to go to the old spot, and he sort of he doesn't know where he's going. So in his madness, he just hands the wheel over to Cage. He's like, you find out where we're going. He's like, jammed that fucker. He gets, like, a little bit crazy. Like, he, he gets, like, I mean, he's, he's crazy this entire time, but he gets a little bit more crazy. Cage just jams the wheel on the boat, and, and Judge Reinhold, like, falls overboard. And Cage just starts, like, driving away. Like, he's just like, alright, like, we're, we're moving on from this part in our life. And Zondali, like, starts freaking out. We have to go save him. I definitely thought it was gator time for Seri, but no gator shows up. No, it's not the gator. He, he, he dies from the hyacinth. <laughs> <laughs> she's like he's caught in the hyacinth so she jumps in and uh like dives down to get him and he's too heavy so she she's starting to drown and cage jumps in to save her oh right yeah and then he goes back for terry and and terry like he gets terry up to the surface and breathing and then terry 
bites him on the neck, I think. And he, he gets just... cut. He gets bit on. He gets like attacked on the neck. I thought it was maybe the plant, but I guess he gets bit on the neck. I don't know. It was. It's weird. Like they don't really explicitly show what happened. Terry ends up drowning. I actually thought maybe he he hit his head on like a rock when he went overboard or something like that. But yeah, he ends up drowning without a struggle. So after Terry dies, they she they they, they sort of flash forward a little bit, and Zombie's at his grave, right? Yeah. And Buscemi shows up, and I'm like, why is Buscemi here? And like, this doesn't make any sense. And he doesn't appear to be a prisoner anymore either, right? He's sort of free. He's, he's asking her for some money. He's like, hey, you got any money? And At this point in the movie, I thought Buscemi might be, like, the devil. <laughs> because he's, like, throughout the movie, he's obviously not a good guy. He's a former criminal. Um, he's, he's, a re- he's a repeat offender. He's always sort of encouraging her. Like, he basically, you know, him stealing the radio kind of gives her the idea to get a little frisky. You know what I mean? Mm. So I was wondering if he's sort of like the devil in this movie and sort of always there. Because, like, how does he know? Like, how does he just happen to, to show up where Zombly is? Yeah, yeah. It, it's like she, he's always there to cause her some kind of... Grief or uh, problem. Like, just like just make her life more complicated than, like, get her to sin. That's an interesting theory. I mean, I wouldn't... <laughs> necessarily put it past this film to try and sneak something like that in here. I mean, there is that religious iconography. She does go to the church, you know, and that is one of her sort of sanctuaries in the film, and even that gets disgraced by Johnny when he comes in and infringes on that. So, I mean, to, to, to have the other side of that represented as, you know, like this criminal garbage man, like, that that could be kind of cool. I kind of like that. Well, so while she's talking to maybe the devil, maybe not, maybe just a guy, who knows, we cut to Cage, and Cage is with, like, an art dealer in his apartment. It seems like, you know, after the Zonley chapter in his life ended, he sort of got focused again on painting, now that I'm assuming he no longer... Oh, no, because he gets fired, right? Oh yeah, now that now that Terry's dead and no longer running the company, they can just unload Nick Cage. Because he's not like a good employee, he's always taking these long lunches and everything, and the only reason he still had a job was because Terry was going to bat for him. Right. And so he's back in his apartment trying to make the, the painting thing working, and the art dealer only likes one of his paintings, and it's one that Cage hates. And so he basically tells the guy to get lost. This is excellent. This is really the best one. I mean, to me, you really broke free on this one. Well, that's an old one. Yeah, but it's a really good direction that you're heading in. You know, maybe you should you try know, and get back to it. In 75 years, you're going to be fucking dead. I'm going to be standing next to Picasso and Vincent! So get the fuck out of here! You want a cup of coffee? No. Just call me when you get some new work. Yeah, okay, man. Take it easy. And then goes and trashes all of his paintings, and then grabs black paint and, like, pours it all over himself. And he's like, black it out, black it out, black it out. Yeah, this is one of the most extreme cage moments yet again. Like, this movie, for what it is, it's got some great cage moments in it, you know? <laughs> like, it's not the greatest movie, but I'm going to say see it because of these sequences. Like, like he really, you know, who else is doing this at this time in their career? Like, he's pouring black paint on top of his entire body, yelling yeah. black it out at the top of his lungs like a mental patient. You know, he, he himself is going full vampire's kiss again at this point. I'm waiting for the voice to come, but it, it never slips into that voice. But I... 
No. It, it's nuts how affected he gets by the death of Terry, too. Like, him and Zondali are both, like, totally destroyed. And it turns out that, like, Terry was, like, this tether that was, like, keeping everybody grounded to, you yeah. know, reality in some way. Yeah. Even though he himself was kind of nuts. I think the only thing that Cage thinks can sort of return him to sanity is Zondali. She is his last beacon of hope. And so he goes into her apartment while she's out for another run. He tells her just how, how, how in love with her he still is. That he's like, when I make toast, I smell your skin. And I'm like, what? He's, just, he's like still like smitten with her, whether or not he actually is or whether or not he thinks that this is just the only way that he can restore himself to the life he once had. I don't know, but he, he his, like, his last-ditch effort is to get back together with her. Yeah, and she just starts slapping the shit out of his face, right? She's like, I'll never be rid of you and stuff, and like, she's just like, oh, God, like, just get out of it, and, and he won't. And she doesn't, she doesn't know how true those words really are. She calls him Terry again when they try to have sex, right? Yeah. They try, like, she's like, all right, let's try it, and then, like, I guess she knew, like, she just wanted to, like, put the full cock block on him at the right time, so, like, they start getting hot and heavy, and then she calls him Terry, Terry, Terry. Johnny's like, you're right, like, can't do it. He sits in the same chair that Terry was sitting in when he was sort of having the, the sexual difficulties with Zondali. That's, like, the chair of, like, being, like, of, of, of cock blockness, you <laughs> know what I mean? It's just, like, the, the chair where the men go to sit to ponder why they can't have sex with Zondali. That's a very doomed seat it's it's not a seat you want to sit in she puts on like one of his jackets i think one of um terry's jackets. One of terry's yeah. jackets and then they go for like a walk this is where the through line of cage being a criminal finally pays off they're they're just walking through the streets of new orleans and this guy some kind of criminal element sees him walking he follows him around right yeah he yells at him he's like hey johnny hey been looking for you like all that kind of stuff and johnny like is ignoring him johnny's following zondali as she's just sort of wandering around the streets and then this guy is in his car following them around and then they get to a place where the car is close and the guy pulls out a gun and i thought he was gonna shoot johnny like i thought he was aiming for johnny like the way that it's shot it almost looks like zondali is gonna jump in front of him and take the bullet, she's done with life. You know what I mean? Yeah, I took it as he was aiming for Johnny, and Zondali jumps in the way, like, commits suicide. And then the guy is sort of like, well, I killed someone. That's the message. You know, <laughs> as long as I sent the message, like... <laughs> and then he's like, that's what happens if you don't pay up. And he pulls off and, uh, you know, drives away. And, and, and Johnny's there clutching dead Zondali. And he just carries her dead body off, and then the movie ends. Yep, another sordid tale of New Orleans. Oh, man. New Orleans is, like, caged New Orleans do not get along. Yeah, like, <laughs> there's been some trouble down there with it. But, yeah, that's Zondali. That, it's, it's, not, it's not the movie I was expecting, but it's fascinating. It's strange. Like, I found it, like, intriguing and sort of compelling in its, you know, softcore nature. <laughs> like, I, like I, I, it almost felt like trapped by the confines of the people making it like there's enough here to do it without the explicit sex and nudity i feel you know like i feel like there's a a good version of this story somewhere in here yeah like the, the movie is just like sort of like you know this this sex fest otherwise it would just be like a completely different thing and who knows, like, how, how good it would have been, how crazy Cage would have gone. But, you know, this really just further goes to show how ridiculous rating systems are because <laughs> they prevented a lot of people from seeing this back in the day, you know? And it's kind of off the radar, to be honest, you know? Like, having to go get, like, having to order a copy from another country is just... <laughs> what does that have to say about your movie, you know, to a degree? I, I gotta say, I really enjoyed something 
about Judd Reinhold, like I really liked him in this movie. Like I don't see nearly enough of that guy. Like he's just not working enough. The most important thing is that his mustache in this movie is on point. Yeah, all the facial hair and <laughs> let's just say like all the hair, all the pubic hair, all the facial hair, everything's there, everything's trimmed, everything's on point. <laughs> so next time Cage Club things are a little bit lighter in fair and in tone, I think. It's Honeymoon in Vegas, uh, which I feel is going to be a lot less melodramatic and depressing as this movie and some of the movies we've been watching are. Stay tuned for that. Yeah, it kind of kicks off a little string of comedies for Nick Cage, sort of shifting gears after his drama-heavy career so far. Yeah, I mean, there's there's still some also heavy stuff coming up, but it is a little bit... Finally, you know, we have Firebirds, we're having Honeymoon in Vegas, we have a special episode coming after that that I don't want to spoil yet, but there's there's things coming up in his life where it's just, or in his career, where we're finally going to, like, maybe, like, enjoy, actually, like, enjoy the movies <laughs> as opposed to just, like, getting beat over the head by what's going on. He sort of becomes mainstream Cage in, in, during the 90s, you know, like, almost something like the next five out of the next seven movies are going to be family-friendly, you know, sort of to get his name known, and then he goes back and he starts doing, like, the action stuff, and yeah, yeah. A whole other experience for him. So we're we're in the we're in the heart of Cage's career right now. So stay tuned. Go to cageclub.me to read our reviews about the movies, to follow us on Twitter, to subscribe to the podcast, to to sort of get all things Nicolas Cage. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Mike Manzi. And we'll see you next time on Cage Club. <laughs>